Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Mid-South Moments. Now, when you throw the word bonus around in the context of pro wrestling, it often constitutes an extra time-filling match in a pay-per-view that hasn't been promoted and there's no one that actually wants to see it. Hopefully this podcast bucks the trend with the next hour or so covering the October 23rd, 1983 to December 10th, 1983 episodes of Mid-South Wrestling with seven short podcasts spliced together for your listening pleasure. Consider these the birthing process of Mid-South Moments, having originally appeared on the fans' podcast feed at the back end of 2019. I hope you all enjoy. Welcome to Fast Count, five minutes of wrestling. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm your host, Stephen Guttridge, and on today's inaugural episode of Mid-South Moments, I'll be discussing Mid-South Wrestling, and specifically the October 29th, 1983 weekly television episode. As someone whose entry point to the world of wrestling was the dying days of the ITV coverage of British wrestling in the late 1980s and thereafter World Wrestling Federation on Sky Television, I think it's fair to say that for me and many in my generation, the Mid-South promotion has largely passed us by. While the AWA and World Class Championship Wrestling were given the full-length WWE documentary treatment in the mid-2000s, the Mid-South tape library largely remained in the dark until it was purchased by WWE in 2012. As such, I thought it was a great opportunity to go back to a really interesting time in the industry, right in the embryonic stages of the World Wrestling Federation's national expansion, and while many of their future stars were still regularly plying their trade in Mid-South. To set the scene, in October 1983, Ronald Reagan was the US President and he was approaching the end of his third year in office. Margaret Thatcher had not long won a second general election in the UK. Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton's Island in the Stream was top of the Billboard 100, and Billy Joel topped the UK charts with the absolute classic Uptown Girl. Sean Connery had just returned to play James Bond in Never Say Never Again, his final appearance in that role. And in wrestling, the NWA world champion was Harley Race, which was weeks before his defence against Ric Flair at the, at the first ever Starcade. The WWF heavyweight champion was Bob Backlund. And in the AWA, it was perennial heavyweight champion Nick Bockwinkle. So moving forward with the show, I have to say, first things first, the music for the title sequence is absolutely incredible. Um, actually, on further research, the WWE Network version isn't quite the same as the original, um, presumably because there was a copyright is- issue there, I'd imagine, as, as is the case with a lot of the music on the network. Um, but both are absolutely fantastic. The original of this show is widely available online, so I encourage people to check that out as well, um, because it also includes the entrance, real entrance music, including junk- Junkyard Dog coming out to Queens, another one bites the dust. Um, so the opening is Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts at a desk, basically running through recent events. Boyd is wearing an absolutely incredible orange suit, um, or, orange suit, black shirt, orange tie, um, which is as alarming on the eye as you'd imagine it sounds. Um, they run through a pretty convoluted set of events involving the North American title, which is the top title in Mid-South Wrestling. Essentially, to cut a long story short, um, Butch Reed was the champion. There was a public vote for his next challenger. Junkyard Dog won that public vote, but then Reed decided against that, basically accepting that challenge. And there from then, he lost the title to Magnum TA, who then went and lost the title to Nikolai Volkov in short order. You get a couple of really, really good and and really cracking Nikolai Volkov classic promos in there when this is being all explained. Um, The end result of all this is those title chains being declared null and void and a title match between... Butch Reed, who's champion again, um, versus the Junkyard Dog with a special guest referee who ends up being the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Now, I must say, you think when this is going to be announced by the ring announcer, who really milks it for all it's worth, that the crowd is going to go absolutely crazy for this. But it's a pretty tepid reaction. Um, ultimately, the match is reasonably short in its length, um, just, after, just over seven and a half minutes, lots of stalling. Um, eventually, there's a ref bump at six minutes. Jim Nightheart pronounced Needheart by the commentators. That's an ongoing theme with mispronunciations. Um, he tries to interfere. JYD, uh, Dusty Rose makes a save. And then JYD eventually wins the power slam in approximately seven and a half minutes. They managed to squeeze another five matches into the remaining time, which I'll whiz through quickly. We had the missing link versus Magnum TA. Magnum won with a belly to belly suplex in two minutes 14. He looked really, really good in that victory. Nikolai Volkov versus Jerry Oates. Um, again, Volkov actually looked pretty good um, until he slightly botched a gorilla press into a backbreaker for the win in 305. Uh, Tom Stanton versus Iceman King Parsons. Parsons comes out to We Are Family by Sister Sledge. Um, brilliant work by Watson commentary, um, giving a bit of background about Parsons' nickname, which he earned at college while working in an ice factory. 
um, and all the local ladies said that he had the coldest hands but the warmest heart. Um, Parsons wins literally with an, a flying ass to the face in just under three minutes. Um, Jim Nightheart and Bobby Duncan versus Marty Oates and Mike Bond. Nightheart wins in 244, the great looking fallaway slam. Lastly, Doug Vines versus King Cobra. Um, no relation to the snake that ended up biting Randy Savage in 1991, I understand. Cobra wins with a flying head scissors in just over a minute. Next week, we have Rose and Duggan versus Butch Reed and Jim Nightheart for the tag titles. Overall, really enjoyable watch. Um, really enjoyed going through it. Uh, very, very quick to watch and easy to get through. And I look forward to speaking with you all soon. Cheers very much. Hello and welcome to Mid-South Moments, episode two. I'm your host, Stephen Guttridge, and this week we'll be looking at the weekly television episode that aired on the 5th of November, 1983. So to go straight into it, Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts open. This week, Boyd has got a fantastic blue suit on with blue tie. However, he lets himself down immediately by referring to Hacksaw Jim Duggan as Dugan. I don't understand how you can possibly get Dugan from the letters D-U-G-G-A-N. However, both Pierce and Watts seem incapable of saying the word Duggan. Um, it's also slightly bizarre that two feuding wrestlers on the same episode both have the same nickname in Hacksaw Butch Reed and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Anyway, the show starts with a fairly long recap of the JYD Reed match from last week um, with Dusty Rhodes, a special, a special referee. This includes the full finish showing Needheart, as pronounced by Pierce and Watts, trying to interfere, Dusty making the save and the pinfall after the power slam. From there, they move straight into the tag team title match. Nightheart, who's actually pronounced correctly by the ring announcer, and Butch Reader in the ring already, as are Duggan and Dusty Rhodes. Watts mentions on commentary that Volkov has registered official complaint with the Russian embassy regarding him being stripped of the North American title, so I'd imagine they're going to be straight on the case with that. Um, and Butch Reed has apparently been accusing Dugan of poor hygiene and having fleas in his beard, and this is a point that Bill Watts does not refute. Uh, exchanges between Nightheart and Dugan are surprisingly rough. Um, in fact, uh, Duggan slash Dugan looks particularly bad here. Um, Reed says, basically, or has told Watts that he wants to paint a yellow streak on JYD's back. And Watts suggests that he'd only be able to do it if the JYD was actually dead, which is a bit much, really. Um, Butch Reed breaks up a dusty pin on Nightheart and Nikolai Volkov comes out and hits Dusty with a £100 bag of wheat, um, which I thought was a particularly creative weapon for the DQ finish in 627. Big ball erupts and Magnum TA and JYD make the save. Um, dusty is just completely KO'd here, hasn't moved on the outside as a ref checks on him. Um, it appears slightly strange that the theme of the show appears that the top match um, for the last two weeks is promoted first um, rather than sort of a more traditional wrestling style of sort of main event being the biggest match at the end. Um, but for two weeks running, they've gone with the title match first. After the ring is cleared, we get an advertisement break. We get JYD versus Bobby Duncan. Duncan in the ring first. Uh, JYD comes out to his queen, queen entrance music um, and a solemn Watts reiterates on commentary how devastating a, a shot to the head by a hundred bag, hundred pound bag of wheat can be. Um, JYD wins a fairly unimpressive encounter in 404 with a power slam. Um, thereafter, we have Nikolai Volkov versus King Cobra. Um, Watts updates us that Rhodes is badly stunned um, but has left the arena. Volkov wins a total squash in 240 with an odd-looking top suplex, um, starting in the pedigree position with poor Cobra taking a bad-looking bump directly onto the base of his spine. Um, back to the desk after the break and Watts explains what happened during the time away, um, which essentially assisted of Reed coming out and painting a yellow streak on poor Cobra. Um, I can't imagine that was too much fun getting that paint off in the shower, especially the hard-to-reach places. This really hasn't been as much fun um, as last week. Um, and Bill Watts' commentary has really started to grate on me. He just speaks way, way, way too much um, to the point that really nothing on the screen is allowed to sink in for any period of time at all. Up next, we get a pretty short match between Tom Stanton and Leaping Lanny Poffo. Uh, I have to say, Poffo looked great, um, probably as muscular or more muscular than I can ever recall seeing him, um, certainly in the latter stages of his career. Um, real shame this wasn't longer. Um, as Poffo, the odd Dusty Rhodes moment in the first match aside, was the best thing on the show by far. He won in 145 with a decent looking moonsault that I'd imagine at the time was probably something that had rarely been seen in the States. Watts then explains that Nikolai Volkov, uh, again, has, has lodged a complaint with the Russian embassy um, and he's now in the ring to stage a public protest. Um, this promo is really shouty, um, a little bit difficult to understand and not nearly as good as his promos last week. Um, after a little while, Dusty Rhodes 
recovered from the devastating wheat shot to the head um, and sporting a small bandage around his neck. He comes out and attacks Volkov. USA chants spring up and Dusty takes the mic. This is the moment where I expect an absolute classic Dusty Rhodes promo to spring forth. Um, but really, as hard as Dusty tries to throw some emotion here, um, it's not really one of his finest moments, sadly. Um, crowd, interestingly quiet throughout, really allowing the babyface to speak and get his message across. And he does get a decent reaction when it's over. Um, next up, we've got Iceman King Parsons versus Max the Missing Link. Um, Parsons, again, feels like probably one of the more popular acts on the whole show. Um, what states as well that he asked him about his finishing move last week, which you may remember was the ass to the face. Um, and apparently it's been christened the Romper Stomper. Um, Link takes an atomic drop bump here that is actually so delayed and so bad it really needs to be seen to be believed. Um, during the match, there are audible bangs in the background, which are fireworks at the State Fair, Watts explains, obviously. Um, Parsons wins with a pretty uh, Parsons wins, sorry, again with his romper stomper after 3.34 and a pretty poor encounter. Um, back to the desk, Pearson Watts explained that next week we have a montage on Hacksaw Dugan. Um, bizarrely, no mention of their upcoming Superdome show, which was advertised last week. Um, it really is a strange old show. They race through um, these matches, which are... Um, Pretty this week, especially pretty low quality. Um, no mention of the big show, um, and no matches advertised for next week. Um, I do wonder whether the Superdome show was coming at a time where um, it was difficult to actually promote what was happening the following week's TV, which took place after the show. Um, so that's week two. Um, thanks for all for listening, and I'll speak to you all again soon. Greetings, and welcome to episode three of Mid South Moments. I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge. And this week, I'll be looking back over the November 12th, 1983 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. So the show starts with the normal opening music, um, and it overlaps this time a recap of the Junkyard Dog winning the North American title from Butchery two weeks earlier. Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts are at the desk, and I'm ashamed to say that Boyd's suit this week is really, really, really not cutting the mustard. Um, we've seen bright orange, we've seen bright blue this week, black suit, white shirt, black tie. What are you doing, Boyd? Come on. There's expectations of these excellent suits now, and you just let everyone down. So next up, we have an angle uh, from last week again with Reed painting King Cobra, which is recapped. Um, what we didn't get was a promo from King Cobra um, here as to what he actually did to get rid of this paint. Did he use a soap? Was it a shower gel? Was it some sort of scraping device he used? Did he have to buy a big brush? Did he enlist the help of a friend? Did shower gel actually exist in November 1983? All of these questions and no answers. According to Watts, Butch Reed was fined $500 for this heinous, heinous act. And now Mid-South want to punish him further by making him look at a video package on JYD set to music by The Atomic Dogs, a band that I've never heard of and I suspect none of my listeners have as well. So JYD visits some sick children and what is described as those having been stricken by misfortune. Um, it shows a child on a hospital bed um, and the voiceover man says that the, the child's luck has clearly changed thanks to a visit by Junkyard Dog. I should point out that it doesn't appear that the child was given an opportunity to confirm this um, and it's not clear as to whether he actually wanted the Junkyard Dog to visit or not. Um, then we go into a montage of different matches, basically. Um, the Atomic Dog's music seems to have disappeared without trace um, and is replaced by another one, Bites of Dust, which is his entrance music. Um, we have clips of him in matches with Mr. Olympia, um, Boris Zerkov, which I presume is the same as Boris Zukov later with WF, um, Kamala, a few clips, and interestingly as well, um, a match from Houston against Nick Bockwinkel, who is advertised as WA champion in this clip. This is a decent, if slightly odd, video, which probably pretty much sums up my experience of Mid-South so far. Um, back to the desk, and next we have Reed and Nightheart versus Weingroff and Barber. Um, Jim Ross makes his debut on Mid-South Moments next as well. He's interviewing Nightheart and Butch Reed in ring. Um, Butch Reed confirms that he's not abusive to dumb animals. It's only the junkyard dog that he wants to hurt. Um, I hadn't noticed until it was too late, but Nightheart is actually carrying just a bog standard normal carver box with him and he produces a small black dog from it which is um, a little bit alarming and um, Reed says that the dog has not been abused in any way and that he is his master just like he will be to JYD and he's going to paint a yellow streak on his back um, this whole segment is, is pretty awful to be completely honest um, onto the match and I must say this is a really exciting moment for me personally as it'll be the first time I've ever used my brand new stopwatch to time a wrestling match 
Um, the packaging said that it's designed for all ages uh, and for all uses. Um, and I suspect I'm the only person in the whole world using it for this purpose. Color-wise, it's a really, really lovely mix of purple and blue, and I imagine it's the sort of thing that Boyd Pierce would have absolutely appreciated, given his love for vibrant colors. Watts puts over the power of the champions, Reed and Nightheart. Weingroff actually looks pretty good while he's in, and which isn't long enough, and we have our first Dugan of the evening on commentary. Um, Reed hits three good-looking backbreakers and then pulls Barbara up at one. Huge Gorilla press off the ropes by Reed, and then Nightheart tags in and he hits a full away slam for the win in 329. Um, again, this is not much more than a squash, really. Um, we have Volkov versus Crusher Darso next, who would later be known as Smash in the WF Demolition, and then later um, in what I believe is his finest hours as the Repo Man. Uh, next up, recap of the end of the tag match from last week with Dugan and uh, American Dream Dusty Road versus the Tag Champs. Um, Nikolai Volkov is described as the Russian juggernaut by Bill Watts um, and he demands that the Russian anthem is played uh, while Darso looks on an extremely odd pair of almost denim-like hot pants shorts with a white fabric belt holding them up. Um, certainly not as impressive as his later um, SNM-inspired demolition outfit. Um, Darso goes with Volkov as soon as the bell sounds um, and it's not a vintage version of the anthem, I'm afraid. Um, Watts explains that in the Olympics and other sporting events, it's customary that anthems are played, but you cannot expect a wrestling audience to sit there and, and, and you know, stand in silence respecting such an anthem. Um, Darso, sporting an excellent moustache, catches Volkov in a bear hug to a big reaction, and the crowd starts chanting, USA, USA. Um, Watts accuses the Russians of being completely brainwashed on commentary, while the bear hug goes on and on and on. Volkov eventually reverses it and puts Darso into position more akin to the Karma Sutra than a wrestling show. Um, there's a rough moment when Darso bashes into Volkov coming out of a corner and the match has a couple of tricky moments thereafter before getting back on track. Um, Volkov is taunting Darso's manhood, according to Watson commentary. Um, and here we have again the Volkov finishing move, which he botches every single week, which is uh, basically a half gorilla press into a backbreaker, um, and he nearly drops Darso on his head after the actual backbreaker element of that move. Um, he gets the win in 429, um, somewhat passable, albeit with some rocky moments. The Road Warriors are up next, um, and they're up against Mike Bond and Art Cruz. Now, I must say, I've never seen the tag team of Mike Bond and Art Cruz, but I have a feeling that they will not be getting their hands raised here in the next few minutes. The Warriors are described as the national tag team champions. Um, this is, in fact, an NWA title that's most closely linked to Georgia Championship Wrestling. Um, Mid-South retained loose ties with the NWA, and interestingly, Watts said that those titles put them in line for a shot at the Mid-South tag belts. Um, basically insinuating or outright stating that those are the real ones that they're looking for. Um, Hawk and Animal fine um, in this encounter. Interestingly, they're wearing flares, which I don't think um, is, is a particularly normal choice of outfit for wrestlers, not exactly intimidating their opponent by looking like a 70s disco star. Um, Watts tells a long story on commentary about one of his friends bumped into the Road Warriors and they wouldn't say hello to him, and apparently that... Um, it was pretty disgusting and also the Road Warriors said some things to his friend that they couldn't repeat on television. Um, this is an absolute squash. Animals, uh, animal wins with a stiff looking clothesline to the chest in 2 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, not much to this. Hawk and Animal looked fine um, and that was that basically. Back to the desk and what says, today is the day of speciali specialisation. Um, and there's been a new concept in professional wrestling, and we cut to Reza Bowden, um, who's the usual ring announcer, and he goes off on a tangent about medicine and specialists in sports. He lists painstakingly all the specialists that are now in various sports, golf, American football, uh, you name it, they're specialists, but apparently until now, there have been no specialists in the wonderful world of professional wrestling. Mr. Wrestling 2 has had his eye on Magnum TA for a while and has decided that he wants to offer his services as a coach. They make it clear it wouldn't be a manager and instead would be a coach. Mr. Wrestling 2 says that he and Magnum have come to a financial agreement that he won't discuss, but he is going to help him. However, he won't be giving up wrestling himself and he doesn't appear doesn't think this is going to impact on his career too badly. Um, so what I'm essentially looking forward to here is one of them turning on the other in about six months' time, and I suspect it'll be Mr. Wrestling 2. Um, camera pans across to Magnum TA. Uh, Magnum TA is wearing a tan leather suit jacket that couldn't mismatch his black suit trousers more. Um, he believes that Mr. Wrestling will be the key to his success going forward. Um, the segment closed with Reza asking the question that we all want to know. Will Mr. Wrestling 2 be teaching Magnum TA his famous knee lift?
you have to learn to walk before you can jump. Mr. Wrestling 2 informs us all. Wow. So next up, we have the man of the moment, Mr. Wrestling 2 in action versus Paul Garner. Bill Watts explains in commentary that he actually has a scar on his mouth from that famous knee lift. Um, on commentary, Bill Watts informs us that all that Magnum TA has been asked by the Fountain Hill Public School and their yearbook editor to select their wildcat queen and three finalists out of 11 senior girls. I mean, I really must say, the other seven girls are those 11 that didn't make the cut here. I mean, I can't imagine how much that still probably haunts them to this very day. Mr. Wrestling 2 eventually wins this with, a, with, with his magical, marvellous knee lift that he absolutely refuses to teach to Magnum TA at this stage in 2.32. Next up, we have Mike Jackson versus Jeff Sword. Got, got to be honest with you, I've got no idea who either of these are. I did look, look up Mike Jackson. Um, doesn't appear to have a Wikipedia page. Um, Watts on commentary is glad that um, Mid-South invite handicapped children to sit ringside. Um, and he loves seeing the light in their eyes while they watch the matches. There's a couple of decent exchanges here, including Inseguri from Sword, um, but also some rough moments in between. Mike Jackson wins with what ultimately became the Honky Tonk Man Shake, Rattle and Roll in 259. We have a rundown of what we're going to get next week, which includes something I'm particularly looking forward to, a special montage of Hacksaw Dugan. We've also got Lanny Poffo and Dr. Death Steve Williams, plus a handicap match with Nikolai Volkov versus two individuals. Next up, we have Tony Torres versus John King with TV time remaining. Um, also, the commentators announced that Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA will be in a tag action next week, so Mr. Wrestling 2's coaching will be put to the test the following week. Boyd announces that sadly he won't be here next week. Uh, we all, the rest of us will. He won't be because he's off pheasant hunting. Yes, he is going pheasant hunting. Instead, Jim Ross will be on commentary. And after a few short minutes, we have our first television time limit draw at 2.48. Must say this was much more enjoyable than last week. And I, and I think mainly because the bizarre factor was really ramped up to maximum level during this episode. Um, I can't imagine that anyone in the history of television, in the history of presenting a television show, has ever said that they won't be there in their usual job the following week because they are going to be shooting birds instead. With that, I will speak to you all again next time. Greetings and welcome to episode four of Mid-South Moments. I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and this week we'll be reviewing the November 19th, 1983 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. So as you can hear in the background, this is the excellent Mid-South Wrestling title music. And this week it's played over some pictures of Dr. Death Steve Williams winning a match. At the desk, we have Jim Ross and Buddy Nichols from KALB TV, which is easy for me to say. Um, and I'm assuming as Bill Watts is not there, that he's off killing birds with Boyd Pierce. I'm sure they're having an absolutely lovely time. Jim Ross lays out what we have this week. He pronounces Dugan, Duggan, and I'm just not sure that this is going to be quite the same without Boyd's mispronunciations and Watts' incessant ramblings. We go to the ring and have the tag champions up first, Hacksaw Butch Reed and Jim the Avil Nightheart. Their opponents are George Weingroff, who Jim Ross informs is actually legally blind, and Tony Torres. Um, Weingroff hits a lovely drop kick on Reed after a leapfrog. The anvil takes over the offence after the tag. Uh, Weingoff hits an, an almost moonsault-like dropkick on Reed as well, which looks fantastic. Uh, and after three and a bit episodes of this show, he might just be the best worker in the whole promotion. Torres is tagged in and Nightheart, um, sorry, Torres is tagged in with Nightheart and is quickly beaten with Anvil's fallaway slam in 5.33. Um, these short matches don't really have the time to get going, unfortunately. And I think with a little bit more back and forth um, with Weingoff in the ring, particularly, this could have been decent. Um, thereafter, we have a handicap match with Nikolai Volkov versus Mike Jackson and Randy Barber. And I really feel for whichever one of these poor souls had to take Nikolai's finisher. Volkov demands that people stand up and salute the Russian national anthem. And he's sporting a CCCP Moscow Olympics t-shirt in fetching red with yellow letters. The anthem starts off largely in tune this week until the final few bars, which are as offensive to the ears as a cat scraping its claws down a chalkboard. Um, the two men take over on Nikolai initially um, and try a double pin, but he forces his way out. Volkov then takes over with some brutal-looking shots to both. Um, there's a vicious drop by Volkov and Barber on the top rope. And then thankfully for both, neither of them actually have to take his gorilla press backbreaker finish. And instead, Volkov wins by slamming one onto the other in 157. 
Without the commentary of Boyd Pearce and Bill Watts, this show feels very, very different. Um, Ross and Nichols actually sound as if they're on the same planet as everyone else. Uh, and the bizarre factor this week is, is really, really dialed down, um, which doesn't really help the entertainment factor, um, but it does feel like a, a more normal wrestling promotion. Um, back at the desk now, Ross and Nichols lament that America, unfortunately, is involved in a lot of international difficulties at the moment, um, and that the following montage on Hacksaw Jim Dugan, pronounced Duggan, will make everyone feel a little bit better about themselves. It moves on to Duggan smashing Ted DiBiase with a 2x4, a shouty promo with Bill Watts where he says, a lot of people may not agree with his lifestyle. I'm assuming he's referring to the personal hygiene choices that were raised by Neidhart and Butch Reed in recent weeks. The video moves forward with an up-tempo country song about America with a line that reads, if the Russians don't believe it, then they can go straight to hell, while Duggan beats up various people in the ring. Um, the whole thing pe- appears to be a little out of context and doesn't seem to forward any feuds. Uh, it might be one of those things that was a little bit better at the time and in the current context. Next up, we get to see whether Mr. Wrestling's first week of coaching of Magnum TA has gone to plan, as those two team up to take on Doug Vines and Jeff Sword. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 starts with a couple of lovely looking hip tosses here before tagging in TA who hits a really good looking drop kick. Um, there's no single offensive move from Vines at all in the first minute of the match before Sword managed to tag in. Magnum TA hits an almost Superman type looking forearm. Quick tags, quick tags between him and his partner. Ross puts over the million dollar knee lift. Um, and there's no comment on whether Mr. Wrestling has shared even a snippet of that secret of that, that special, special move so far in his coaching. Um, Magnum shows some really great fire while he's in. Vines goes for a slam, but it's reversed. Ross's commentary, as I said, is like night and day with Bill Watts, um, and this doesn't even feel like the same TV show in many ways. Um, this is decent action overall, um, but more the feel of an exhibition or sparring match because there's really no offense from Sword or Vines at all. Um, it's basically an extended technical squash. Um, in the end, Magnum TA wins with a really good-looking belly-to-belly suplex in 7 minutes 30. That's quite a departure from quite a lot of the other matches we've seen because it's one of the longer, or if not longest, match in the four episodes that we've seen so far. Um, it, it started to drag a little bit towards the end, but this was a decent showcase match um, with TA and Mr. Wrestling, and it appears later on that they're moving towards a match between these two and the Road Warriors. Thereafter, we get Art Cruz and Larry Higgins, uh, two sort of veritable giants, really. Um, Jim Ross says that the, the Mid-South show is the number one wrestling show in the country. Um, fast start from both of them with some good exchanges. Um, Larry Higgins applies a slightly, looking, slightly odd-looking arm bar into a north-south head triangle. Um, a long headlock spot by Cruz. Cruz hits a crossbody for a near four and then back into the headlock. Jim Ross says that he ran into some people in Hawaii recently who asked him where he was from and then when he told them he was from Oklahoma, they answered that they said they really love the junkyard dog. My money is on that this exchange did not actually happen. Um, the finish after a decent five-minute encounter is really, really unbelievably bad. Higgins pushes Cruz back away from, face, from the ropes as he faces them um, with a really slight touch. Um, and, Higgins, and, and Cruz takes an awful-looking bump that's completely incongruent with what he just received. Higgins then drops a really light elbow for the win in 6.13. Up next is the Leaping Lanny Poffo versus John King. Um, Poffo demonstrates his amateur background by staying on top of him, riding him and not letting him up. Um, Poffo nips up impressively from being thrown down by the hair. There's a head scissors out of the corner that probably sounds a bit better than it actually was. Kings takes over with some pretty bad punches before being stiff right in the face with a kick, perhaps because of how bad the punches were. Um, decent standing drop kick by Poffo before he botches a slingshot to the outside. He then propels himself back in with a splash for the win in 3 minutes and 18 seconds. We have another appearance from Crusher Darso, aka the future Demolition Smash versus Paul Garner. Um, Ross tells us that Crusher is from the north woods of Minnesota. Um, sadly, he's wearing the same denim short shorts and white fabric belt this week. Um, Darso grabs Garner, who Ross describes in commentary as 234 pounds, but actually can't weigh more than about 150. Um, Darso wins in short order with a backbreaker submission in 147. Back at the desk, Jim Ross lines up a take from the Sam Houston Coliseum between Steve Williams and Bobby Duncan. This is the match that was shown during the opening credits, which we join in progress. Williams hits Duncan with a couple of punch-type moves before a big slam known as the Oklahoma Stampede for the win. Ross informs that next week uh, Steve Williams will be in action along with Dennis Condry. This is the this is pre-Midnight Express era of Condry, so it'll be interesting to see him next week. Um, thereafter, Jim Ross is joined by the Road Warriors, um, sans face paint, but with their national tag team titles. 
Um, Hawk informs us that Animal has 22-inch python pythons without even flexing, apparently. And then Animal says it doesn't matter who and what combination there is out there, they will beat them. They are the tag team titles of their pride and joy. And they weren't at a little coffee party or anything winning these belts. They worked hard for them. Not sure when anyone in wrestling has ever won a, t a, t a tag team title, a singles title, any sort of title at a little coffee party. Um, this was not a bad little promo from the Road Warriors overall. Um, and Jim Ross reiterates what's coming up next week. Um, it really feels like they're reaching here, just stalling for time. Um, or maybe this was the end of a series of tag uh, of two series of television tapings. Um, he wishes Boyd Pierce is on vacation well, um, and that he'll be back next week. This was probably the weakest of all the shows I've reviewed so far. Um, did feel a lot like filler, a lot less stalling at the end. Um, though Ross and Nichols were a massive improvement in terms of the normal wrestling announcing, um, Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts, um, sort of so bad it's good, um, were really missing this. Anyway, thank you all for listening and I'll speak to you all again soon. Greetings and welcome to Mid-South Moments, Episode 5. I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and so we're we looking back over the November the 26th, 1983 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. So first of all, this show aired two days after two pretty significant events in the world of professional wrestling. Um, the first and most important was that November the 24th, 1983 was my second birthday. That's right, I've been on planet Earth for a full 24 months at that point. Um, the less significant thing that happened on the 24th of November 83 was the very first Starcade event, which was headlined by Ric Flair defeating Harley Race for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So we are back to the normal title sequence this week, and even better, we have Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts at the desk, and he's described as the expert commentator and Mid-South president. There's no mention at all of the Superdome show that took place the week before, and that was headlined by the Junkyard Dog beating Butch Reed. Uh, Watts introduced a pre-taped interview with Kosha Darso, that's the future Demolition Smash. Watts talks about what a formidable opponent Nikolai Volkov is going to be for Junkyard Dog, and who better to speak about this than the only man that's faced both men in Mid-South Wrestling, and that is Kosha Darso. They show a clip of the earlier Volkov versus Darso match, then switch back to Darso, who's sporting a large bandage on his forehead. And he says, in a very softly spoken voice, that Volkov had made him feel like a baby. He says that he thinks Volkov is stronger and a better athlete. He has something he really wants to learn, the strength and the ability in wrestling that Volkov has. Jim Ross is our ring announcer this week and we have a Nikolai Volkov versus Joshua Stroud match to open. Stroud is absolutely shredded. Um, JR invites people to stand up during the Russian National Anthem and I'm preparing my ears for that switch later in the tune that makes me feel like my eardrums are exploding. Ugh, and there it is. Volkov beats him down and Stroud takes a really bad looking bump from a knee in the stomach that may have been full strength. Stroud is in a backbreaker submission before being gently rested on the top turnbuckle. Apparently, whenever the US and Russia make a contract, if something goes wrong, the Russians turn their back on the contract and freeze the wheat, according to Bill Watts. There's another really bad bump from Stroud off another boot. Uh, oh God, here we go. The half gorilla press into a backbreaker and shockingly, Volkov actually lands this without botching it too badly for the win in 1 minute and 54 seconds. The Anvil Jim Nightheart now versus Tony Torres. I'm starting to get quite used to some of these uh, TV regular jobber names. Um, after a fast start, Nightheart throws poor Torres way too quickly into the ropes. He can't regain his stride on the way back quickly enough and ends up stumbling into a leapfrog and coming down right across both knees, which looks absolutely brutal. Um, Nightheart does the same thing again and catches him with a big slam. I'm not sure Torres may be Nightheart's favourite opponent here, um, judging by the way that he's treating him. Watts talks again about Nightheart offering to give Dugan, yes, Dugan is back, a water bar to improve his hygiene. Anvil takes poor Torres's head off with a clothesline before winning with his, his good-looking fallaway slam in 247. Junkyard Dog versus Tonga is up next. JR, JR introduces first, from the Isle of Tonga, weighing 270 pounds, Tonga. Wow. Tonga is the future barbarian in the World Wrestling Federation. Junkyard Dog is out to another one bites the dust to a decent reaction. Um, apparently, Tonga asked match matchmaker Grizzly Smith for the toughest man in Mid-South, hence a match with the North American champion. Um, apparently, according to Watch, JYD has dropped weight to ensure that he always has the endurance to defend that title. Um, Watts is then off on a tangent about Jerry Flowers, who is apparently a famous country music artist. 
Tonga is actually getting some offense in here on what on what what's described as the number one star in wrestling today. And there's a near fall with an inside cradle from JYD. The crowd starts chanting JYD, JYD as he takes over. Tonga, who's barefoot, really struggles to get up to the top rope and then basically fall de falls down straight into a punch, which looks really, really bad. Um, and then JYD wins the power slam, which Watts calls the thump in 541. Next up is the Midnight Express versus Rick Rude. Yes, that Rick Rude and Mike Jackson. Um, no relation, as far as I know, to Matt and Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks. Um, I, much like Nikolai Volkov, usually doing his finisher, had a bit of a botch last week and referring to Dennis Condry um, and this being pre-Midnight Express era. It was actually before the Eaton and Condry duo, um, but not before the Condry, Rose and Norvell Austin trio and considered my wrist well and truly slapped for this mistake. Um, Jim, Jim Cornette makes his Mid-South Wrestling and Moments debut introducing the twin sons of different mothers, Loverboy Dennis and Beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express. They get the full star treatment with the song um, Shazam Help Me Identify as Chase by Giorgio Moroder from the 1978 film of the same name as the tag team. And thanks to the magic of podcasting, you'll have heard this excellent track at the start of today's review. There's some nice exchanges between Rude and Conjure to start. Eaton is in with, with Jackson soon and everything he does looks so crisp. Jackson looks great as well. Um, this is some of the best wrestling I've seen so far in this promotion. Conjure hits a massive running power slam before tacking back out. Um, Eaton then hits a great looking running flying knee. Um, Watts is laying out more than he usually does during this match and commentary and just letting the action sort of speak for itself. Um, the Midnight Express eventually beat Jackson with a move that's not too dissimilar to the demolition decapitation, albeit with Jackson in a higher position, more akin to the Doomsday device in 326. We are really racing through matches here, as, as tends to be the theme with Mid-South. Um, we've got Dr. Death Steve Williams versus Frank Lever up next. Um, Williams is about to try out for the Denver Gold in the USFL, apparently. Um, and, then, and Watts also says that he was out for dinner in Oklahoma recently with his wife and had a wonderful time. Dr. Death Steve Williams met a lot of Russians in 1981, according to Watts, and he hates them. Hate is a strong word. Um, Watts is putting Dr. Death Steve Williams over hard here, and they are building to a match between him and Volkov next week. Watts hits a body block out of a three-point stance and the Oklahoma Stampede for the win in 240. Next up, we have Lanny Poffo and Magnum TA versus Doug Vines and King Carl Fergie. Before the match, Mr. Wrestling 2, Magnum and Poffo are interviewed by Reza Bowden. Mr. Wrestling 2 is asked what he thinks of the new team of TA and Poffo. Um, he says, you have to study your opponents and your partner. You have to study each other. Mr. Wrestling doesn't want TA in tags. He'd prefer him just to be in singles. And Poffo comes from a very bad family. His dad was a narcissist individual in wrestling for years and his brother followed in those awful footsteps. And Mr. Wrestling 2, for him, it remains to be seen what the outcome of this tag team will be. He's not happy. Poffo retorts, why would a man want to wear a mask? He is there, he is there with the guts to stand in front of Mr. Wrestling 2 and he was drafted into that family, he did not enlist. There are no strings on him and he doesn't manipulate people like Mr. Wrestling is doing with Magnum TA. Poffo says he still wants to be TA's partner but it's got to be with him. Magnum TA seems a little confused by this and he thinks they will be a good team and have a good chance. And there's clear signs here of a future turn by Mr. Wrestling 2 and this is a really good segment. On to the match and Mr. Wrestling 2 is on the outside taking notes. Um, Magnum TA hits a wonderful looking drop kick um, and Watts describes Poffo's brother Randy as a nut. Um, Poffo left his family a year ago apparently to branch out on his own according to Watts. Um, and wrestling too is a savvy old fox and he knows what he's talking about when, he, when he's worried about the Poffo family. Um, King Carl Fergie's in now and he seems to be a complete and utter deliberate rip-off of Jerry Lawler with very similar chunks, hair and beard. Um, Magnum, according to Watts, is using that, some of that Far Eastern type of combat. Um, eventually, TA hits the belly to belly for a win in 351. Um, really hope at some point we get to see at least a 10-minute match of his around this time against a credible, credible opponent because Magnum is clearly one of the best works in the promotion at that time. Next up is a real treat for all the listeners of Mid-South Moments. It's Hacksaw Jim Dugan as he faces Larry Higgins with television time remaining. Bill Watts states that Hacksaw Dugan beat Ted DiBiase on August the 31st and made him leave Mid-South and he's been in Japan ever since. However, he's now sent in this warning this is filmed on the World Championship Wrestling set, which was, in, which was the Georgia Championship Wrestling Show in the traditional 6.05 slot on TBS. That in of itself wasn't long for this world, as it'll only be another seven months or so before the promotion and time slot were bought out by Vincent Mann and the World Wrestling Federation. 
Ted DiBiase said that Duggan should not adjust his TV set. He's not seeing a ghost. He's looking at the man he thought he was rid of, a man that took him from a prelim wrestler to the very top. In the words of Skandar Akbar, you are nothing but a filthy hippie and you are running with scum. He warns Duggan and JYD that they better keep an eye looking out over their shoulders as DiBiase has picked up some new tricks in Japan and he cannot wait to try them out. Um, this is by far the best promo by about a million light years on the show in the last five weeks. Thereafter, we have Dugan versus Larry Higgins. Um, Dugan beats on him before the bell. Um, he takes him to the mat and continues to beat him down, um, while Watts tells us that Duggan will face someone called Tom Lynch next week. Um, Higgins gets his knees up when Duggan tries a splash and hammers away. Um, the Midnight Express will also be back next week. Um, Higgins, he, he, Higgins eats a boot on a charge, and Duggan comes back with a close on a backdrop before using a spear for the win at 2.42. Bill Watts is with Dugan's opponent, Tom Lynch, of next week. And Lynch says he was told that he was big, quick, tough man about Duggan and he's going to put together a scouting report. I will know something about him, Lynch announces. Pierce reiterates that the main event next week will be Dr. Death Steve Williams versus Nikolai Volkov. There isn't too much bizarro stuff um, in this week's episode, which is the thing I enjoy the most. But in terms of pure wrestling, this is a pretty good show. Um, I'm actually quite looking forward to Volkov versus Williams, and they've clearly built that up well. Um, The Magnum TA Mr. Wrestling 2 angle um, had its first twist, um, and the Ted DiBiase promo is probably the single best thing I've seen in not far off five hours of Mid-South television. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Mid-South Moments. I'm your host Stephen Gutteridge and this week we'll be looking back over the December 3rd 1983 episode of Mid-South Wrestling, Merry Christmas one and all. Um, So we're straight to Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts at the desk. Um, Boyd has made some effort thankfully with his dress this week um, and he's wearing a fetching black jacket and what appears to be a flowery purple tie and waistcoat combination and I would give this a solid 7 out of 10 on the Boyd fashionometer. He sets the scene for USA versus Russia. That's Steve, Dr. Death Williams versus Nikolai Volkov. Jim Ross is our ring announcer this week. And up first, we have Doug Vines versus Crusher Darso, who this week is wearing a lumberjack shirt with the arms cut off, but the same denim shorts. Uh, no fabric white belt this time, though. Um, and Boyd describes him as a woodsman. Um, they put over that Darso has only lost twice in Mid-South. Um, and the two things that mean more to him in life than anything are powerlifting and wrestling. And he is man enough to admit that Russia are the best in both, Watts says through gritted teeth. Um, Watts tells a story apparently that Ken Patera went to the Olympics um, and he was tricked by the Russians into drinking a load of vodka. And as a result of that, he didn't place very well. Um, there's not much this match. Um, Vines takes a nasty looking bump on his rear before being submitted in 223 with a backbreaker. Up next is the big clash that we've all been waiting for. Nikolai Volkov versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. There's big USA chances we return from break with Volkov and Williams already in the ring. Jim Ross invites the crowd to stand if they wish for the Russian national anthem. Um, uh, and Ross specifies that Nikolai has furnished them with the tune. Um, this week, thankfully, the bit that usually causes an internal pain in my brain is cut um, and the action starts fast and furious. Um, Volkov lays some big punch into Williams um, and Darso is watching on from the outside studying the Russian. Um, Dr. Death takes over and the crowd comes into it Um, and then Watts says a lot of people don't understand the doctor. He's a great big kid in a man's body. He loves his family and the Oklahoma University and my daughter loves to go fishing with him. Volkov takes control of an odd looking headlock and Williams gets out and turns it into a hammerlock. Watts is struggling to be impartial but even more so when Williams is against and I quote a loud mouth from Russia. Williams hits a shoulder tackle, but when he tries the second one, he wipes out the referee. Volkov hurls Williams over the top rope, which should be a disqualification. And then, shockingly, Darso attacks Williams. The crowd chants for JYD, but he doesn't appear. Williams is chucked back in the ring, and Volkov misses two running stomps by at least half a foot. There's a big boot, then he hits his half gorilla press backbreaker for the win in 5.47. Watson Pierce are so sickened by this that the only thing they can do is throw to a break. Um, This wasn't a bad back and forth encounter, um, but clearly nothing in this promotion has allowed the time to really breathe on television. Um, And it would be great to have seen a 10, 10, 12 minute match between these two. Um, But what we got was pretty good. Next up is Lanny Poffo and Joshua Stroud versus the Midnight Express. Jim Cornette's on the mic um, and he says that he's one of the nicest dress managers in wrestling and he manages the greatest tag team in all of professional wrestling. 
He says, if you want to wrestle, they can put a sandwich on your back and starve you to death. If you want to fight, they'll throw so many rights, you'll be begging for a left. It's great stuff from Connor, as you'd expect. Um, and out come the Midnight Express, their brilliant theme, which is also played at the top of the show. Uh, these shows are worth seeking out online, actually, as the network versions of these episodes have all of the original music edited out, sadly, but they are pretty easy to find online. Um, Poffo starts in with Eaton, a couple of good exchanges before Headlock Scissor Takeover um, on both members of the Midnight Express. Watts is still really down and dismayed about what happened before, and he says that Darso has been ensnared in the Russian web. But he says it's not easy. Look at all the countries that have been sucked in and signed treaties with them, and they've just taken in and used. Absolute textbook small package by Condrion Stroud, which Stroud makes it out of. Um, beautiful, pun intended, flying elbow by Bobby Eaton. Um, and the Midnight Express win again in 2.52 by pinning Stroud with their, their as-yet-unknowned but brutal finisher. After the break, we return to the desk and Watts has disappeared and is replaced by Lanny Poffo. In the ring, Jim Ross introduces Frank Levert and says he'll be going up against Magnum TA. Boyd is questioning Lanny about his family again um, and Lanny mentions that he's received a huge amount of fan mail recently. Good for him. He expresses how much he wants to win the tag team titles and how a partnership with Magnum is his shortcut to those titles. Lanny talks more about his family, naming Angelo and Randy Poffo, who wrestles as the macho man, he says, um, and he admits to being subservient in the past and he should have taken responsibility for his own action, actions. But he's moved on and he's come to Mid-South by himself. Mr. Wrestling 2 is ruining everything for him apparently at the moment by questioning his intentions, though he really doesn't blame him given the past and his family. Magnum TA wins this one in 2.30 with a move that is not caught by the cameras as they're focused on Mr. Wrestling, which is excellent. Um, let's presume for argument's sake that Magnum TA wins in 2.30 with a Phoenix Splash. Next up, we have Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Max the Missing Link. Um, Link towers over Mr. Mr. Wrestling 2 here, but given his past results, I think the odds are probably stacked against him. Um, apparently, Max is worried about that wonderful knee lift um, and keeps pointing at, his, at Mr. Wrestling 2's knee. Um, Watts compares that said knee lift to a fantastic serve in tennis or perhaps a knuckleball in baseball. It's something 2 has worked on for years and years and years, and it can just decapitate you. Keep it light, Bill. The missing link is missing Skandar Akbar, who apparently is busy with Kamala's feud with the Von Eriks. Um, Kerry and David did appear on the Phantom Superdome show a couple of weeks ago back, but have not featured on television recently. Wrestling 2 hits a knee lift and Link falls to the outside after five minutes of back and forth action. Big atomic drop from Maxwell for the two count. Watts has never seen 2 submit to a submission move, and that is largely thanks to his elasticity, apparently. 2 catches Link running into the corner of the knee lift and takes over on offence but Link stuffs him with an elbow. Link then goes to the top rope and misses a splash and two finishes him with another knee lift in 6.57. Decent match this was. Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Jim Lentz and Watts has just called him Duggan. Um, I don't understand what's happened here. Has, has Jim Duggan had a word and said, look, it's D-U-G-G-A-N, it spells Duggan? Oh, wait a minute. It's back to Dugan literally two seconds later. How can it be Duggan in one moment and Dugan the next? What said that Darso's respective Volkos power has turned into some kind of worship. Um, Three-point stance from Dugan and a big flying headbutt spear for the win in 206. Um, Jim Ross jumps in and Dugan asks him quite roughly what he wants. Um, Dugan says he's pulling for JYD versus Nikolai Volkov and he knows that Darso has a few has few brains. He can't understand how a man from this country could stoop so low. Crusher Darso, you are a man without a country and you are a marked man. And Dugan is going to straighten a few things out, apparently. A big reaction for this, and it's by far um, Hacksaw Jim Dugan's best promo on the show. Um, Jim Ross is with Crusher Darso. What says this is just one interview that he couldn't conduct. He couldn't stomach it. Jim Ross is really great here in setting this up. And he says that no one is proud of him. What is he doing? He's an American. He says, uh, Darso says that JYD has never helped him out. And no one knows this, but he's been secretly training with Volkov. When he saw Williams out there breaking the rules, it was his perfect opportunity to get in there with Nikolai. And Mid-South better watch out because Nikolai is helping him. Watts then, back at the desk, says, as you've just seen, this is a man without a country, a Benedict Arnold. Jim Ross is in ring, announcing the last match with television time remaining. From the island of Tonga, Tonga, along with King Carl Fergie versus Mike Jackson and Rick Rude. Um, next week, we have Iceman King's, King Parsons. And then Watts explains the backstory of Andy Kaufman and Jerry King Lawler and says that Lawler will be there. This is slightly awkward timing as King Carl Fergie looks to be a complete knockoff of Lawler um, and was in the ring while Watts was saying this. 
Um, Rude is in with Tonga, his future Heenan family stable mate. Rude looks great here, um, and Watts explains that a win means a lot for the participants as the local bookers of the towns will be watching on and will want the winners on their shows. That's actually a nice touch from Watts here. Um, Rude with a fantastic drop kick, and unfortunately, our time is out and we have a time limit draw in 4.48. This is a really good show. Um, the angle between Darso and Volkov and Dr. Defcy Williams was really, really well done. Um, the Mr. Wrestling 2 and Lanny Poffo stuff continues to advance well. Um, really enjoyable, 45 minutes or so. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon. Hello and welcome to Mid-South Moments, Episode 7. I'm your host, Stephen Guttridge, and this week we'll be looking back on the December 10th, 1983 episode of Mid-South Wrestling, which as usual starts with the music you can hear in the background, the absolutely brilliant and also 80s title music for Mid-South Wrestling. So first up, Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts at the desk as normal. This week, Boyd's outfit is um, a brown suit, but his yellow shirt does look pretty special, um, so I'm going 5 out of 10 on the Boyd fashionometer. Apparently, according to Watts, Crusher Darso's obsession with powerlifting has become a strong narcotic for him. Um, and they recap Darso's turn on Williams the previous week um, and thereafter the interview that appeared later in the show with Jim Ross. Jim Ross is ring announcer again and we have Crusher Darso with a completely new look. He shaved his head, um, he has red trunks and he's up against Mike Woods. Um, there's a huge gorilla press early um, and, he, and Watts has in commentary that his allegiance to Russia is apparently a total commitment. Um, Darso really does look like a completely different person this look um, and far more menacing out of those dreadful denim shorts. Um, Darso has been totally enveloped by Russian propaganda, according to Watts. Um, there's a big bear hug. Woods fights out of it and gets a couple of shots in before being caught in a crossbody out of the corner. Um, and the Darso wins with his backbreaker submission in 2.13. Nikolai Volkov then comes out with a present for Darso. I mean, it is getting towards Christmas. Um, and this present is an extra large Soviet flag. Jim Ross in ring says, Darso has accepted the flag and it's hard to know what the world is coming to, folks. I mean, it is Christmas. You don't want to, you know, turn down a gift. I mean, you know, it's, I'm sure it was difficult for Darso in this situation. And clearly, Volkov has been teaching him some tricks of the trade around powerlifting. So what more can a man want, really? Now we have our tag team champions, Jim Nightheart, sometimes Kneeheart, and Hacksaw Butch Reed up against Randy Barber and Coco Ware, who is the future Coco Beware. Um, no Frankie along his side um, on this night. And perhaps Frankie was just a twinkle in his father's eye at this stage. Um, Coco Ware is a stout young man, according to Watts. Um, on commentary, he's still shocked that Darso accepted that Russian flag. And apparently by accepting that flag, that's the moment he's turned his back on his country. I mean, I thought we'd established that he did that last week. Um, what says that JYD uh, mentioned that Reed would be in a pine box before he could lay paint on him, keeping him light, keeping it light as always from Bill Watts. Um, there's a really fantastic looking knee by Reed on Barber. Nightheart then tags in and shortly after he crushes Barber with his always good looking fallaway slam for the win. Watts gives, gives us a bit of background on the revolutionary advancement that was Magnum TA hiring Mr. Wrestling 2 as his coach. Um, then it cuts to two speaking to Magnum, who says he's proud of his workouts. He's doing super good in the words of Mr. Wrestling 2, but there's more he needs to know. He needs to know things about the human body, the human person. He needs to know about mankind. He warned him about Poffo. His whole family is rotten. Uh, Mr. Two stumbles a bit here, but then he says that he sent Jim Ross down to Kentucky to get some clippings on this man. And here he is, out of nowhere, macho man Randy Savage with Eye of the Tiger playing in the background. Freak out, freak out, macho man says. He's 235 pounds. He's the ICW World Heavyweight Champion and he's apparently one of the world's greatest athletes. This then cuts to clips of Savage kissing a snake, um, foreshadowing the future, um, in ring and throwing something off a bridge with an ultra dramatic and solemn Jim Ross commentating over the top. He says, from our initial investigations, all indications are that Randy Savage, brother of Lanny Poffo, holds nothing but contempt for his fellow wrestlers. He doesn't care about rewards, but would rather carry on the sadistic wrestling style of the Poffo family. That's Jim Ross reporting from Lexington, Kentucky. Mr. Wrestling 2 asks what Magnum thinks. Magnum responds and says, look, Cain and Abel came from the same place, but brothers don't have to be alike. Two says that Lanny is rotten to the core and he's going to find something on him. 
Um, this whole Magnum TA wrist wrestling two combination um, so far has brought together some fantastic moments. Some unintentionally hilarious, but just some you know really good wrestling plot devices. Um, back in ring now, we have Jeff Sword versus Leaping Lanny Poffo. Boyd reiterates in commentary that Poffo has not shown any hint of reverting back to the ways of his relatives. And what says that all men have something they're ashamed of in their past? Clearly some skeletons in the closet of Mr. Bill Watts. Um, what says that Lanny is a sincere and well-dressed gentleman? Two really key attributes in the world of professional wrestling. Um, Watts then speculates that Mr. Wrestling 2 is jealous of the youth of Poffo and Magnum TA. And there's just so many things happening. Um, Poffo is looking good in ring as ever. And he wins in 2.35 of a decent encounter with a standing senton into a moonsault combination, which must be about 20 years ahead of its time. Mr. Wrestling 2 has allowed the cameras in on his quest to make Magnum TA one of the best wrestlers in the world. There's a recap of the initial announcement of the pairing, and here we have a montage set to the original Rocky music. There's belly to belly after belly to belly, and then backstage showing Mr. T Mr. Wrestling 2 watching two monitors and going through what mistakes he had made in matches. He's quite harsh in his tone really here and scolds him for his attitude against the champion in an earlier match, saying he didn't get there, didn't get to being champion by being Mr. Nice Guy. Hesitation is no good. Hey, come on, you've got to get, it, get together in these things. Uh, Mr. Wrestling is clearly showing some heelish tendencies here, uh, but not quite enough yet for TA to, to do anything about it. Um, this segment was really, really great. Um, the whole angle is a massive highlight of this show at the moment. Um, now we move on to um, Tom Lentz versus the, ma the man, Magnum TA itself. Another theme of the show is that they do these angles and they, they follow up straight after with a match, which is also really, really good. Um, Mr. Wrestling 2 is on the outside taking notes and he's looking sharp in his suit and white mask. Um, Watts guarantees that when Magnum is in the ring, every woman in the audience heart is beating on just that little bit faster. And he also reminds us that one high school even had him pick their homecoming queen recently. Um, there's a chant of Magnum, um, and Magnum says, uh, Watts explains that Magnum just wants to get to the point where he can beat Butch Reed as he's lost him twice, and he will give Mr. Wrestling to a bonus if he does. It looks like Lentz catches TA with a full-on kick to the balls here and gets a big forearm back in return. Uh, Magnum looks so polished uh, as per usual. Um, he skips over Lentz and then hits him with the belly-to-belly -belly for the win in 3.05. Uh, next up, we have an interview with Crusher Darso. Jim Ross says he wants Darso to listen to him intently. Do you understand you turned your back on your friends, your family, and the most important thing, living in a free country? You've turned your back on your country. Are you sure you know what you're doing? What has my country ever done for me, Darso says, just like JYD didn't do anything for me. The crowd erupts in the background here and starts chanting JYD and clearly there's a commotion and he actually comes down himself, he gets into the ring. Um, Darso tells me he hasn't done anything for him. When's, when, when I haven't been in any main events, what have you done for me? JYD says that everyone has to start from the bottom like he did and he tells him sometimes you need waking up before giving him a brutal slap. Volkov then hits the ring and JYD takes over on him. Darso seems to have some doubt as to what to do here, but eventually helps Volkov attack JYD. Watts is going mad. Both of them are putting the boots to the dog. A few jobbers try and help, but Boyd says helpfully, they just haven't got the firepower to help. Finally, Dugan and Magnetier hit the ring and I quote, the Russians retreat. So I guess now um, Darso has turned his back on America. He's a full-blown Russian. Watts then, you just saw it. There's no difference to that Russian ideology the world over here. We're now visiting Dr. Death Steve Williams at Oklahoma University. There's a Jim Ross voiceover, and he says that after graduation, Steve will have to choose between a career in recreational management, professional football, or professional wrestling. And the fans in Mid-South are obviously hoping he chooses wrestling. Apparently, Steve's classmates are supportive of his dual life. Um, it shows Williams benching 300 plus pounds, um, and whatever career he chooses, his opponents can be sure he'll be physically prepared. Um, Williams says he wants a rematch with Volkov, and it shows him working out in full on full gridiron gear, including a helmet, intermixed with clips of him beating King Kong Bundy, um, then suplexing a wrestling dummy at Oklahoma University. Um, this was really, really, really great. Just an absolutely fantastic montage on Steve Williams. Um, up next, we have the return of Iceman King Parsons. Um, and Doug versus Doug Vines. Iceman comes out as usual to We Are Family to a great reaction. Um, Watts just loves that cold hands, warm heart line as that's the third time I've heard him use it. Um, Parsons apparently lost 50 plus matches in his first run during uh, Mid-South. Um, he went to Germany, sorted himself out, came back and I quote, whipped everything in sight. 
Boyd says that their blood was boiling during Darcy's interview, and Watts explains that his wife is from Estonia, and that was just one country that Russia had treated badly around the world. And Parsons wins with a romper stomper, aka after the face in 152. Next up is everyone's favourite tag team in 1983, the Midnight Express versus George Weingroff and John King. Um, Jim Cornette, he says that if anyone had any honesty at all, they would admit to him that his tag team were the best tag team in all of wrestling. Out come the Express, their usual music and a lovely pair of blue robes. Um, a very quick match and the Express finishes looking particularly brutal on King. Thereafter, we've got Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Nightheart. Excuse me, sorry, that was a Nikolai Volkov Gorilla Press Slam into Backbreaker Botch. Um, Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Nightheart is actually next week. Um, we've also got Jerry Lawler and a new tag team of Rick Rude and Lanny Poffo. Um, so much to get through in 45 minutes, but again, I thought this was a really, really good show. I'm intrigued to learn what happens next week, and that really is the whole goal of, of episodic wrestling. Um, the Magnum TA, Mr. Wrestling 2 stuff with Lanny Poffo is, is really, really good and a highlight of the show. Anyway, thank you very much for listening and I shall speak to you all again soon. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.